I'm going to read a short passage from Romans chapter 8, if you'd like to find that, Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to read from verse 12, Romans chapter 8 and verse 12. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you didn't receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Those who were with us last week know that we started to look at this passage where Paul speaks about the, the two great influences, the two alternative influences that could be shaping our lives. In this version here, it refers to the sinful nature. A better way of translating that would be the flesh. And by that, it means just godlessness, the influence of godlessness. There's either the flesh or the spirit. And so the question we looked at last week was, who's pulling your strings, the flesh or the spirit? Now, in this passage that we've just read, Paul goes on to develop the idea of what it means to be influenced by the Spirit of God. So what does God's Spirit do? What what does it mean to be in the Spirit or to be filled with the Spirit? What's the evidence? What's the evidence this morning as we're here in this building? What's the evidence here that the Spirit of God is working? Now some people would instinctively say they're looking for visible things to happen physical reactions. Maybe if someone shook a little bit, or maybe if one or two people fell over, we'd say, hey, the Spirit is moving. Well, that could be true. But let's look at what Paul says here about evidences of the activity of the Spirit. Let's see what he has to say. What does the Spirit do? Well, he refers, first of all, in this passage that we've looked at, verses 12 onwards, to putting to death or mortifying. Verse 13, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if you mortify or if you put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, you will live. That's a kind of literal translation of it. If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if you mortify the deeds of the flesh, the deeds of the body, rather, by the Spirit, you will live. As one uh, writer has said, summarizing that, there's a way of living that's death, and there's a putting to death that's life. There are two ways. And what the Spirit does, it's by the Spirit. The Spirit enables us to put to death the deeds or the misdeeds of the body. Paul has already told us, and we know it anyway, that these bodies are mortal. He said it in verse 11 about uh, the Spirit of God giving life to our mortal body. Our body is dead. 
The famous Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who preached in London around the middle, the second half of the 20th century, who was a, a medical doctor, he made the rather somber point that the moment we are born, the death process begins. And he said, encouragingly, our first breath is also one of our last. Yeah, we are dying. We're heading for death. We know that. These bodies are mortal. And uh, we will die. Well, because these bodies are mortal, what Paul is saying, therefore, the misdeeds of the body ought to be short-lived. We need to make sure they die. The, the, the whole, the, what we're in is heading for death. Well, then let's deal with the misdeeds of the body. Of course, by the body, he's referring to our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our hands, our feet. All of those can either be used for good or used for bad. In chapter 6, uh, at the end of, uh, or in, around verse 12, he said, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Don't offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. So the things we that we look at, the things we listen to, the things that we say, the things that we do with our hands, where we go with our feet, all of that, Paul is saying the Spirit enables us to put to death all those misdeeds, all of those things that are wrong, simply because the Spirit of God is also called the Holy Spirit. If God's Spirit is in us, He's a Holy Spirit, And if he is influencing us, then there'll be certain things that we won't do anymore, and there'll be other things, alternative things, that we'll suddenly find a desire to do. The Holy Spirit enables us to put to death things that are wrong. The Holy Spirit enables self-discipline. In Galatians chapter 5, we looked at it frequently last week, but in Galatians 5, Paul speaks about the evidence of the Spirit of God, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, he calls it. And uh, in Galatians 5, 22 onwards, he lists the things that the Spirit does. And among them, it says gentleness and self-control. One of the evidences of the activity of the Spirit is self-control or self-discipline. Self-discipline, controlling ourselves dealing with sin. He's not talking there about some sort of what technically is called asceticism where people just live a rigorous, very harshly disciplined life in order to be holy. Uh, that, that doesn't really work. In writing to the Colossians, in Colossians chapter 2, Paul refers to people who make up all kinds of rules that God never made up in order to be holy. He says, It refers to don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. He says these are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with self-imposed worship, false humility, harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. It's kind of dealing with the flesh by the flesh. That doesn't work. What Paul is speaking about here is being filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit is a spirit of self-control. And we'll say a bit more about that, but just notice he says in verse 12 here, brothers, we have an obligation. 
How many people, when they put their status, it refers to something they're about to eat or they just have eaten. It alarms me how often people focus on what they're eating. Think, what's so important about that? Isn't there something more important in life than just the lovely meal that's coming? We eat to live. We don't live to eat. Think about it. Now, I'm not creating a new rule here. I'm not saying you mustn't ever say it. But what's so important about eating? We've got a spirit of self-control. Food actually doesn't matter that much. And if it matters too much, how will we ever get into prayer and fasting? Well, I'll just throw that one out, and you can throw it out as well if you wish. A spirit, the Spirit enables us to deal with the wrong, excessive appetites and impulses of the body. Put to death the misdeeds of the body. And brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh. But we live for the Spirit. So there's no excuses. We can't say, oh, I can't resist. Yes, you can. You can't say, oh, I don't know what made me do that. Well, actually, you do it. It's the flesh. No, we need to... Li- We need to respond to the Spirit, which is the second thing that Paul says the Spirit does. He says in verse 14, those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. He says, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you'll live because, and that word is important, because those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. How do we deal with the misdeeds of the body? Well, by being led by the Spirit. The Spirit leads us. The Spirit draws us, is another way that that could be interpreted uh, or or translated. This is relational. The Spirit of God doesn't compel us. The Spirit of God isn't a force that comes on us so we suddenly start acting differently. Rather, the Spirit of God is person and He leads us or He draws us. implies that we have to respond. He doesn't force us He doesn't compel, he doesn't drive us, but he draws us the way God wants us to go. It's relational. 
And it implies developing that relationship then. Back in the Old Testament, the the most famous psalm, I guess, is Psalm 23. And in Psalm 23, verse 3, David says, He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Or he leads me in paths of righteousness. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He leads us. Those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. So he leads us, he guides us into paths of righteousness. What kind of paths does he like? Well, obviously, as they're paths of righteousness, he, he will draw us away from some things. And he will draw us towards other things. It's not laws now, it's not rules. It's the Holy Spirit leading us. Sons of God, children of God, are indwelt by the Spirit and they're being led. They're being drawn. So away from... So if you've walked with God for any length of time, you will know that there are things you used to do and you think, I just don't do that anymore. It, somehow it doesn't appeal anymore. Of time, You will know that there are things you used to do and you think, I just don't do that anymore. It, somehow it doesn't appeal anymore. And we can't understand how once we were so kind of taken up with something and now it's lost its appeal. Well, it's the Spirit drawing. The Spirit leading us on. We heard that word, leading us on to maturity. There will be childish things, childish behavior. He draws us. He leads us. And things that once appealed don't appeal anymore. Drawn away from and drawn towards. He leads us in paths of righteousness. As we respond to his leading, we'll find he also leads us into truth. In John chapter 16, Jesus is preparing his friends for his imminent departure. They don't realize what's about to happen. He's preparing them, but he's telling them he's not going to leave them on their own. He's going to send his spirit, and they don't understand really what he's talking about. They're going to understand it later on. But as he's preparing them, he says, John 16 verse 13, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into truth. If we're led by the Spirit, we're led away from false ways of thinking. We're led away from what we've always thought, maybe what we were brought up to think and what we were brought up to believe. And there's a drawing away from that. Not into some sort of vague mysticism where it's all feelings. He will draw us away from just relying on feelings and emotions into truth. Truth that is solid. Truth that nourishes us. Truth that enables us to grow. Again, that word, led away from the milk towards meat. It's sad that some Christians stay on the level of just their emotions. What do you feel about that? How does that make you feel? Yeah, but our feelings are so unreliable. That's childish. Now the Spirit leads us into truth. Ah, that's different. You can chew on that. That does you some good. Truth will help you when everything's falling apart. Your feelings won't, but truth will. And he leads into truth. And then Jesus goes on in that passage in John 16 to say something else the Holy Spirit will lead us into. In verse 13, he says he leads into truth. And then he says, verse 14, he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. The Holy Spirit leads us to Christ. 
He leads us to a focus on Christ where he's take, he brings glory to Jesus, taking from what is his, making it known to us. And because that's what he does, when Paul is writing to his friends in Ephesus, he tells them how he's praying for them. And he says in Ephesians 1 verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's how the Spirit leads us. He leads us to know our God and to know the Lord Jesus Christ better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you'll know the hope to which he's called you and so on. The Holy Spirit leads, he draws into paths of righteousness, he leads into truth, and he leads us to an increased focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. The baby stage, focus on me. Me and my needs, me and my feelings, me and my ambitions, me and my hurts. Me, it's me, me, me. When the Spirit of God leads us, it's not about me, it's about Him. And we see the bigger picture. It brings glory to Jesus. And if Going through hardship brings glory to him, then I'll go through hardship because the Spirit leads us through times of testing. The Spirit will lead us through difficulties. It's a very striking passage in Luke's Gospel, in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 and uh, verse 1 follows hard on the heels of the account of Jesus being baptized, the heavens open, God announcing, you're my son whom I love. And then it says, Luke 4 verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he was baptized and was led by the Spirit into the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil, led by the Spirit into a time of severe testing, 40 days. And then at the end of that period, in verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. Led by the Spirit through a time of testing and coming out of that testing, led by the Spirit, full of the Spirit. Sometimes things go seriously wrong, but the Spirit of God leads us through, leads me in paths of righteousness. Though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, he's leading, he's there, the Spirit of God brings us through. So we come out the other side of it, full of the Spirit, still pressing on with God. Those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. He teaches us to deal with the misdeeds of the body. How do we deal with that? Not by harsh rules, but by relationship. The Spirit of God leading us. The Spirit of God saying, now leave that behind. Let's move on. That doesn't please your Heavenly Father. Move on. And we move on with Him. Leading us into truth. Leading us to see how wonderful our Savior is. And leading us through difficult times. Now, if the Spirit of God is leading, it implies that we follow. To be led implies following. To be drawn implies going with the the one who is drawing. And we are responsible. Paul says to the Galatians in Galatians 5.25 about keeping in step with the Spirit. 
Yeah, he's leading us. We want to go with him. It is relational. We want to keep the relationship going. We want to learn to listen to the Spirit and go with him. It's strongly relationship. Now, we can, re- relational. We can sometimes refer to people who are a bit immature and say, well, the problem with them, of course, is they're easily led. Well, it's a bad thing to be easily led unless it's by the Spirit. And in terms of the Holy Spirit, I want to be easily led. I don't know about you. I don't want to, I don't want to create difficulties. I don't want to create difficulties for myself. I want to be easily led. Where what the Spirit of God is saying, I want to do. Where he's prompting, I want to go. When he's saying, no, don't do that, I don't want to do that. To be very responsive. Again, back in the Psalms, in uh, Psalm 32, Psalm 32 uh, and verse 8, it, it refers to this being easily led or not. Psalm 32, verse 8, God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Don't be like the horse or the mule that have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle or they won't come to you. There's two ways. Either God saying, I'll instruct you. Say, yes, I heard you. Or the horse or the mule controlled with a bit and a bridle. I don't want to be like that. I want to be easily led. How about you? So I want to do what God says. I don't want to argue. I want to be ever so, ever so responsive. So the Holy Spirit mortifies things in our, in our lives that are wrong. He leads us. And then he go, it goes on to say that he assures us. Verse 16 Verse 16 here in Romans 8, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. An inner assuring voice that we are sons of God, that we belong to God. It's one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit to assure us that we're God's. Now, from time to time we encounter people who aren't sure that they belong to God. Yeah, we all have a different experience. Some people, I mean, it's, it's fascinating when people do uh, our joining the church course at the end of that booklet that sets out uh, all that we believe and so on, uh, there's a form to fill in and there, there's a little slot where you can put when you were saved. Some people give a year. Sometimes people put a date a precise date, and the time of day, would you believe? The hour and the minutes after. Some people know precisely when they were saved. Other people, vague time. And some people will say, well, there's no particular time. Uh, I grew up in a Christian family. I've kind of always believed. And then sometimes it's people like that. Not always, but sometimes people like that who will then express doubts. Maybe something happens and they say, I I don't know whether I'm a Christian. What do we do with that? If someone was telling you about a persistent pain they had in their body, for example, if someone was saying to you, maybe a man of a certain age is telling you he gets persistent sharp pains in his chest, you would probably say, check it out. You need to go to a doctor. Now, if it's not anything, fine, but it just might be. 
Because better be safe than sorry. So you'd say, check it out. So if someone's got health problems, health worries, we'd say it's important to check it out. If someone's got salvation worries, they're not really sure they're saved. All too often, well-intentioned, but I'd say very foolish Christians, try to reassure. I'm sure you're saved. Why? How can you be sure anyone else is saved? The only way we can be sure we're saved is the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. If someone's got concerns about whether or not they're saved, never reassure them. And I I would say to anyone here who is, and I'll say this as tenderly and gently as I can, if you have doubts about whether you're born again, don't be reassured by anyone else. Don't listen to anyone else. And I mean that. Don't listen to any well-intentioned but foolish Christian who tries to reassure you. If you've got doubts, check it out. Because health issues could mean, well, something goes seriously wrong and we don't want that to happen. Salvation issues, we're talking about eternity here. We're talking about, we don't want to take risks. If you don't know whether you're saved... I'd love to have a chat with you and bring you to a place, help you to come to a place where maybe today you know you're born again. Because if you have never repented, and if you have actually never put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, why not today? And if you do that today, then you know you're saved. Don't take risks. Don't just listen to people saying, oh, you're a very nice person, I'm sure you're a Christian. That's rubbish. We need to be born again. And here, it says the Spirit testifies with our spirit where God's children are. Oh, that's wonderful. I don't need anyone to tell me because the Spirit of God is telling me. If we belong to him, we don't rely on other people's opinions. They may be valid or not. No, we've got an opinion here that really matters. God's saying... We belong to him. The inner assurance that we are God's children because we've received, it says in verse 15, the spirit of sonship. This translation says better, the spirit of adoption. We have been adopted into God's family. When Paul is writing, he's writing to Rome. He knows all about the custom in Rome. And adoption there meant it was a privilege to, for a wealthy family to adopt a young man out of maybe an impoverished background, adopt him into the family, and he would have the full rights of sons. All previous debts cancelled. He's now in a good family, and he's there forever as a son. Adopted. It was a privilege. didn't mean you were orphaned or rejected. It meant you were accepted. Someone has chosen you, said, out of that background, I'm bringing you into a new, new, whole new situation. That's the the image that Paul is using there. And he says, we've received the spirit of adoption. We're not natural sons, but we've been adopted as sons. We have become the children of God, sons of God. And that is something that is now. We are now the sons of God. That's how 
John puts it, for example, in 1 John chapter 3 when he enthuses about this. He says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. He goes on to say, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. So he's speaking about a present reality and a future hope, which is how Paul puts it here. We now have the spirit of sonship. By him, we cry, Abba, Father. And then he goes on to say, and if we're children, we're heirs. There are glorious, incredibly wonderful future prospects. And not just heirs, but it goes beyond that, Joint heirs with Christ. All that the Son of God stands to receive, we're in Him. And we're going to share in that with Him. Which is why we call ourselves sons of God. And some of you, half of you at least, will say, no, daughters of God. No, actually, there's something important about this. Not just children, but sons of God. Because we're in the Son. We're in Jesus, the Son of God. And so we share in that, heirs of God. That's now and it's future. So Paul says that we haven't received a spirit of slavery again to fear or a spirit that makes us slaves again to fear. Do you remember way back in chapter 7? That was slavery. The good I want to do, I can't do. The things I don't want to do, that I do. What a wretched man I am. That's slavery. We haven't received that kind of spirit. We've received the spirit of adoption. And we're sons of God. The Holy Spirit assures us that that is true. We have this wonderful inner testimony. The Spirit of God testifying, agreeing with our spirit. We are God's children. And then the fourth thing that the Holy Spirit does, the last thing that Paul refers to here, the Spirit cries. Verse 15, by him we cry, Abba, Father. We cry, Father, or Abba, Father. The word Abba, a term of family, of intimacy, also of great respect. But by the Spirit, we cry, Father. My sister was reminding me, I saw her yesterday, and she was reminding me of something that happened when we were both young. I'm not sure if I was there when this happened. I can't remember it, but she was referring to a time um, when she was playing with uh, another family, the children of another family. Uh, They were all playing together. They they were young. They were running around. She was running around with them, and whatever they were doing, she was doing. She was part of this group running around and uh, just enjoying it, losing herself in the fun of it. And then as they're playing around, this other family with my sister there, uh, their father appears. And they ran towards him. She runs with them because she's with that group. And they shout out, Daddy! And she finds herself saying the same because she's with them. And suddenly, realize, and she's so embarrassed and thinking, I hope no one heard me. She's just kind of caught up in it with all these other children. By him, we cry. We cry, Father. And he is. He is our Father. He really is. And we don't think, I hope no one heard me. We cry it. We shout, Father, because He is. He's not someone else's Father and not ours. He's our Father. 
We have received the spirit of adoption, and by him we shout, Father, and he turns to us and owns us. We're his. We belong to him. We can come and call the God of the universe, Father. Abba, Father. It's not just assurance, and it is wonderful assurance, but it's also approach. We, we, we shout it out. We come to him. We call to him. We cry to God. The Spirit of God causes us to come because we know God is our Father. Isn't that wonderful that God actually is Father? We can call him that. And we're not referring to someone else's dad. He's ours. Our wonderful Father who owns us who recognizes us, who turns to us, cares for us, provides for us, who loves us. By him we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit causes us to come and cry that. Not just to believe it, but to vocalize it. To actually come and cry, Father. We come with our requests. We come with our prayers. We come on behalf of other people. But we're coming to our Father. And that's the instinctive cry of someone who is filled with the Spirit. Father. I remember I remember when, although I don't believe this is specifically talking about baptism in the Spirit, but I remember when I was baptized in the Spirit. And I know prior to that, and it was only afterwards I realized what had happened. Prior to being baptized in the Spirit, I'd been a Christian for, for years, and uh, I, I'd prayed, uh, prayed frequently. But how I would pray, I would tend to uh, come before God and pray something like, Almighty God, and terms like that, which are wonderfully true. What I realized after I'd been baptized in the Spirit, that I was just coming saying, Father, Father. And that became the characteristic way that I prayed, and I think I still do. Because the Spirit of God assures us, and through Him we cry, Father. It's relationship, it's family, it's belonging. And he's a wonderful father. When my sister went with that group and and shouted with them, Daddy, he wasn't her daddy. She was so embarrassed, I hope no one heard me. But when we cry to God, oh, he is our father. And we don't care who heard us. Because it's true. It's real. He, He owns us. We belong to him. The law that Paul was speaking about in previous chapters brought condemnation sense of failure, self-disgust even. What a wretched man I am. But the Spirit of God brings us into something new where there is no condemnation, where sin is faced and dealt with, punished at the cross when Jesus died. It's no longer against us. We're no longer labeled with it. Jesus identified with it. He died in our place. We now have his righteousness. No condemnation. And we've got confident access. Not cringing away, what a wretched man I am. But Father, Father. And he accepts us. We belong to him. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. And Jesus was a man of prayer. And if we're filled with his Spirit we will instinctively turn to our Heavenly Father. Why turn to others when we can turn to Him? 
Why rely on the advice of others? Yes, it can be helpful sometimes, but why instinctively go to our friends when we can go to our Father? Why rely on human wisdom when there's our Heavenly Father? And the Spirit of God causes us to come to Him because the Spirit of God is bringing glory to Him and we're drawn by the Spirit of God and we cry, Father, we become people of prayer because we're filled with the Spirit of the man who prayed, who was always praying, who said, Father, on the cross, it's Father, always that. And we come with that same confidence. So what's the evidence of the activity of the Spirit? Well, as I said, some people would see that evidence in physical phenomena, as we would call it, manifestations, things happening physically, which may happen. Which may happen. There's nothing wrong with that. But let me ask you another question. What's the evidence of electricity? Now, if you grasped a live wire, you would shout. If you grasped a live wire, your arm at least would shake. You might even get thrown across the room. You might die. So the evidence of electricity could be shouting, shaking, dead bodies everywhere, people being thrown around. Genuine evidence of electricity. What's the evidence of electricity here? Well, those lights are on. That's the evidence of electricity. What's the evidence of electricity? This mic is working, which is a great blessing. The evidence of electricity is the work that's being done. Those lights are working and everything's working. The heating is working. That's the evidence of electricity. The other stuff, shaking, shouting, falling on the floor, genuine evidence of electricity, but actually electricity is there for what it does, the work it does, the benefit it brings. When the Holy Spirit is moving powerfully, yes, people may shake, they may fall over, but what does that do? The Holy Spirit is not here to bring us excitement, although he is exciting. The Holy Spirit is here to do some work. And what the Holy Spirit does is he helps us to mortify the body. He deals with that. He leads us. He draws us in paths of righteousness. He draws us into truth. The Holy Spirit assures us that we belong to God and the Holy Spirit causes us to cry, Father, that's productive. That's getting a job done. It's not just about the phenomena. Yeah, they're incidental. Same as an electric shock is incidental to electricity. It happens. And if you... I I know I've had electric shocks that have thrown me across the room. I'm still alive to tell the story, but it, it can happen. But that's not, say, hey, we've got to have electricity because you, you can really get thrown across the room. That's not what it's about. It's about the lights on. It's about the heat on. And the Holy Spirit comes to put the lights on for us so that we see things we hadn't seen before. It, the phenomena are side issues, not the purpose. The purpose is to bring us into Christ so that we become like him and all the stuff that we've looked at. God's Spirit his person, we relate with him. The Holy Spirit is not it. The Holy Spirit is him. We get to know him. He leads us. He relates with us. His personal, very powerful, 
Because through him we can deal with the misdeeds of the body. Rules and regulations never enable us to do that. But the Holy Spirit enables us. He's powerful. And he's present. He's here. And he's here to draw you. He's here to lead you. That's why... I'm speaking now, I trust in the power of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit wants to draw us. He wants to lead us. He wants us to relate with him and be led away from some things, childish things, to be led into maturity and into who knows what blessing, to assure us we are sons of God. And that means we're heirs And there's more to come. And he leads us into that. He's personal, very powerful, and he's present. And he's present to draw you. He is drawing you. That's why you're here, because he drew you. You maybe made some decisions, but he was drawing you. And maybe you're here as one of those that I was referring to. You're not really sure you're a Christian. Well, he's drawing you. And he wants to draw you into assurance. He wants to draw you into certainty. Or maybe you've never even considered it. You've just come along for whatever reason. There's a need that drew you. And actually, you're being drawn to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ to get to know him and to come in to this whole wonderful realm. Let's pray.